not happen for an age. What's that? It is a gathering. Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 71 of the podcast and we're we're doing things a little bit different, um, this podcast. Not in the sense that the format's changed because I know it's old reliable and I can sense that people just like to be reliably listening to something that they know pretty much what's coming, but with a little twist and a little turn uh, every time we do uh, do a different episode. So, so we've got coming up um, a tournament, which is it's a great name, first of all, side by side with a friend, without a friend, which is really cool. Um, and essentially, this is it's a little local tournament where uh, essentially it's playing the double scenarios, but on your own on your Todd, sad times, uh, essentially you you build your army in the same way that you would if you were doubles, uh, playing a doubles tournament, so you have two separate forces, force A and force B, uh, and then you've got to balance those forces out, so they've got to be exactly equal at 600 points, so each of those sides has to be 300 points each, and yeah, then you then you just play the uh, double scenarios on your own. It's only a one dayer. Uh, it's brilliant. It's really local for me, which is which is the number one reason I'm going. But uh, because it's a great format, but it's on the doorstep as well. I, I'd love to go to some of the fantastic format tournaments that are kicking out around the UK. Um, some great GBHL tournaments in the last year that I've read about. There's one that uh, recently down in Bristol or somewhere near Bristol that uh, Wiltshire at least that was. Um, uh, had weather and all that sort of stuff. I just I love those sorts of things. They're great fun. Uh, I'd be well up for going to more of them. Uh, sadly, they're not often worth travelling for the one day across the whole country. Um, so usually because uh, the two day tournaments have a bit of socials. That's what I'm uh, what I'm up for if I want to go for a weekend away. So uh, so this one's great. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, Organised by Harry West and Tim Elwes, um, uh, good local local lads. Uh, so yeah, we've got that coming up, um, and I'll be taking an army, uh, not the Numenor. So uh, find out a little bit more in a second as to what army I'll be taking. Uh, also, we've got uh, an inbox full to the brim of 40k stuff. Uh, so um, I, it's been a while since the last podcast. Um, I actually can't remember exactly when it was released. Uh, when was it? It would have been three, four. I don't know. Anyway, it's been a good. It's been a good few weeks since the last uh, podcast. So um, uh, the Grand Prix episode, and I set that topic uh, last time um, about forty k because basically in a previous topic I'd kind of done an, a, a slip up, almost said that forty uh, k, or kind of suggested that forty k was a bit crap, um, and someone got a bit offended. Or not, I don't think they were really offended. But uh, either way, there's a good point. Um, I think it was Carl who said that. Uh, Carl just pointed out, you know, it's it's just as good fun uh, playing 40k. But then I sort of uh, I threw that back to you guys, uh, the community, to see what what is what is it with 40k because it does have a bad name for itself um i haven't been to tournaments in 40k in a very very long time i did do quite well in the school leagues back when i was in my teenage years but um that was it i never really played sort of normal competitive but i 
I don't know, I've just got this sense that it's a bit dodgy. So we've got loads of uh, your points on that, uh, which might lead into uh, a future episode as well. Uh, then I think we have the riddle in the dark answer next episode. Uh, so we'll we'll pick that up again um, next time around. Hopefully these, these podcasts will be fairly quick off the mark uh, the next coming weeks, because we've got a few building up in the backlog uh, of tournaments that I've been to that um, I'm going to spread out over the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we'll, we'll get to that next time, but it won't be too long to wait for the answer to the riddle in the dark so yeah there's plenty coming up uh, tournament organisers uh, interviews with people playing games uh, and of course just general chatter about this wonderful hobby uh, that we're talking about so very excited uh, to crack on with the with the podcast so let's get started and let's build an army that's a doubles force worthy of so, as I suggested, doubles force. Now, the first thing I thought about was, okay, can I squeeze the, um, uh, can I do my Numenor? Because uh, so, obviously I'm in a Numenor phase. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm conscious that I don't want people to get bored of that, but um, people that I speak to, patrons that comment on these sorts of things, they seem to be quite keen with it. So uh, hopefully you're not getting bored of it either. Do let me know if you would prefer us to mix things up every so often, uh, but maybe keep the, the sort of th- same theme running for a bit. Um, but anyway, let me know, entmootpodcast.gmail.com if you want to get in touch that way. Uh, so I sort of thought, well, okay, well, actually, there were two reasons that Numenor didn't really work. One, I thought, oh, it's just a one day, I want to do something a bit different, just have a uh, have a bit of fun, maybe. And um, the other reason was that the Elendil is quite hard to squeeze into uh, the force, uh, a force as small as 300 points, so I think you'd end up with him and like 10 or something guys and then uh, another warband with a lot, a lot more stuff so I, I sort of wondered whether that's going to work or not I don't know uh, and then ended up doing something that's kind of worse than that but I'll explain more in a second so the, the second thing that I wanted to do was I kind of thought you know what I, I've played doubles quite a lot now and some people make a mistake when they go to a doubles tournament if they want to you know obviously primarily you go to a doubles tournament because you want to have a good laugh with people right you want to um you're not it's not super competitive it never can be really because you're there with a friend unless you're both absolute demons at the game then you know it, it's always going to be a bit of a laugh it's going to have a bit more of a relaxed vibe um but I have played a lot of doubles uh, games and when you realize uh, in force composition after a few tournaments you realize you need something fast and you need both of your armies to be pretty balanced um because because of the way the scenarios work a lot of them involving moving one part of the army force b um into uh, help out force a and um you, you don't get to choose unless you've got a legendary legion you don't get to choose which one is force a or force b the leaders uh, are the leaders of each of those separate things um and you roll off at the start of the thing so if you've got something like for example i used in the past which was um Ugluk scouts uh, with michael haskell um we we had uh i think Ugluk was the leader of one obviously uh oh wait hold on that's not right because that was a legendary legion anyway uh well what we did we didn't do balance them out properly uh the warbands out properly so that it didn't it, it one of them ended up sort of uh, we put the drum in this this the band the the leaders warband things like that so it, it it all ended up being a bit higgledy piggledy you want to have your fast moving stuff in force b you don't always get to choose that though uh, unless you're a legendary legion so i thought right okay i want to do something fast i want to do something different that i haven't done before and also um 
I think I got this, uh, I was on the reserve list or I'd forgotten about it. I can't remember the exact run up to uh, this particular tournament. Uh, I've been busy, that's why I've been busy travelling backwards and forwards uh, for my new job. And I uh, essentially was like, oh gosh, I've got to really come up with something fairly quick. Don't want to have to paint loads of stuff. Um, uh, You know, what can I do? And I thought, you know what? You're going to go, you're going to sigh and go, ugh, what are you thinking? But I thought, Easterlings. (laughs) Um, Because... And there's a very specific reason for this. I have a collection of cataphracts, uh, Easterling cataphracts, which I slowly built and painted um, over the time that I've been doing Easterlings, which I've basically never used. I mean, I've realised quite quickly with Easterlings that the the stuff that is really good is the um, uh, is the pipe blocks. You know, it, uh, you know, you have a guy with a drum on the horse because he has to have a horse, and that's fine because you've got one thing on a horse, and then everything else is pikes because the the cataphracts are a little bit expensive you know they're good solid they've got you know good solid cavalry they've got the knockdown so they do work and they are good for that but you kind of don't need it and um, pikes are, are fine on their own you can have a couple of cataphracts but i generally found that you didn't need them but i have an insane number of of cataphracts i had i think i bought two plastic boxes uh, of cataphracts at one point or maybe i've collected extra an extra box at some point for some reason and i had at one point this idea of doing a an all-mounted um easterling army i think originally i wanted to do it with some canned as well uh, and then everything just changed when the um you know the, the whole defense of the north came in that took over so instead of moving into the all cav which i i was going to do at one point um i ended up doing the dragon emperor and uh retarbian board game and stuff and that just kind of distracted so I've got these cataphracts, and I thought, what the, you know, what, what, what can I do with them? And then I thought, this tournament perfectly landed because I've got a lot of models. They're already painted. I've never put them on the tabletop. Um, I've got a, a, a sort of a, a tournament where fast-moving stuff is good. Uh, I was also, I kind of had this weird situation where I was kind of on call during the tournament. I could have ended up having to do some work at lunchtime and things like that. So I thought, oh, if, if I have an army that finishes quickly. Um, or you know either hits hard and and wins the game quickly or you know um or or ends up dying pretty quickly that will help as well potentially so so the, all these things come to came together to make me think i'm going to do an all mounted um uh, what's it called the legendary legion the dragon emperor legendary legion whatever it is uh, the host of the dragon emperor so that's what i did and um i designed it with the force a in mind so force a is led by the dragon emperor so this means that it's has to he is the leader of the legion he has to be the leader of the army as a whole so that means he is in force a and force a if you look at the double scenarios is the uh, there that's the one that's often in the middle or or that's the sort of people are coming to the aid of so that's a good thing for the dragon emperor he doesn't have to be running because he's quite slow he's got a big base but he does like to be stuck in the middle in places uh with a huge aura of effects in the center and you know he's surrounded by uh other models which are uh nine cataphracts four of which who i've upgraded to have an axe so um, this is a, th- a theory I had when I was building all these guys, um, and I think I'd heard it somewhere, probably on the Green Dragon podcast. Put some axes 
uh, on some cataphracts, give them a potential to go up to strength four with the piercing strike. Um, their defense seven if they're in their shield wall formation on horseback, so you can mitigate some of that uh, defense loss as well on the piercing strike as well. Um, and also they're black dragons because they're free to be black dragons because of the uh, legendary legion. So they're 15 points each, which is still a lot. I mean, it's you know not far off some uh, you know something like I don't know uh, a, a Rivendell Knight's twenty two I think isn't it so but then you know Knight of Minas Tirith is fourteen I think with a shield so you know they've got a lance which is better than an axe but you know this is not bad they fight five uh, within region of the uh, Dragon Emperor so not bad four of them uh, with an axe five without axes with the sword so they're fourteen points each and that is your three hundred points and I think at this point I was like oh, the maths. It's working. It's it's doing it well. So I just need to finish off the rest of the army uh, in a way that makes sense for the other 300 points. So I did. Uh, force B. Leader is Dragon Knight number one. So again, I'm, I mentioned all mounted. So Dragon Emperor isn't really mounted. I mean, he's not cavalry in the sense uh, of the rest of them. But it, it sort of feels like a, a, a fully mounted force because he's got a weird mount with his palanquin. Uh, so we've got a Dragon Knight uh, with an armoured horse for 80 points. Uh, and joining that warband, of course, these have only got uh, these can only be six strong. Uh, we've got two uh, black dragon cataphracts with sword, one black dragon cataphract with an axe, and one black dragon cataphract with a banner. So um, there's 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 some reasons behind this. Basically, there are a couple of there's, I think there's two. There's at least one anyway um, scenario in the the old uh, doubles thing where you need a banner and often you're getting you know you're, you're separated so it's it's not a terrible idea to have banners um, elsewhere. Also, I have a cataphract with a banner, so um, I, I wanted to use it. So it was half I think it was painted red and uh, I spray painted it red uh, and then maybe done the gold and that was it. So I finished off that, which was nice. Uh, so I sort of finished a model that I hadn't really got any other purpose to paint up. And that finishes up that warband. So there's four of them. And of course, they're black dragons because it's free to upgrade the black dragon, uh, everything to black dragons in this legion, as long as you're in a Dragon Knight warband or the Dragon Emperor's warband. So finally, and that was, uh, I've not done the maths breakdown, but that's, you know, 80, 15, 28, and 39 for those different things. And then finally, we've got another Dragon Knight on an armored horse for 80 points, uh, one black dragon with axe, uh, black dragon cataphract with axe, one black dragon cataphract with sword, and one black dragon cataphract with a war drum. And would you believe it, it came up to exactly 300 points for that combination of stuff. And and it, I, I don't know how it happened. It, maybe it was an accident. Maybe I'd planned it in advance uh, way, way ago. But um, it just so happened that I had six black dragon cataphracts with axe um, and, uh, what is it, seven or eight something like that uh yeah maybe eight or i think i have one extra actually uh eight um cataphracts with sword so it just landed perfectly for that combination of upgrades to get exactly the right number i didn't need to do any more extra conversions which is brilliant uh, i got to squeeze the banner in got to squeeze the drum in and my god i'm really proud of my eastling army but this one absolutely looked amazing on the tabletops i i'm you know i'm not i'm not gonna uh, you know try and pretend that i'm gonna be modest about it because i'm proud of the paint job on these uh, easterlings easterlings look fantastic when they're red and gold anyway and a horde of 18 models 
Uh, not not a massive amount for 600 points, granted. 18 models plus the Dragon Emperor looking beautiful in their reds and golds. It it looks it looks cool. It properly looks cool. You've got three big hitters. You know your Dragon Knights that can do some work if they can. Obviously, they're it's a bit risky because they've only got the two wounds and no fate. But you know we're looking here at a, a really really cool army, and obviously we've got that mobility. So Force B has a drum in it, so it can zoom so quickly into the uh, join the Dragon Emperor in the center way or to catch up with the Dragon Emperor. So you're never really going to be left kind of uh, out of dodge in the sense that uh, you know you're not going to be face. I, I, there's no armies that are basically going to be able to pin the Dragon Emperor down with two halves of their army. Um, it's almost always going to be both halves of my army taking on you know most uh, one half of their army for at least a turn so you can have a good advantage of you know trying to surround and trap and all that sort of stuff obviously base sizes is a thing 18 uh, cavalry models you know you're very rarely going to get all the combats you want especially if there's terrain but still that's the uh, the logic behind it anyway so and, and mainly because it looks cool so that's the idea uh, we've got i think it's four games in the tournament and um, so that could be good fun and you never know like with this sort of list it's obviously very swingy um if i get the right matchups i've got a lot of fight five cavalry once i'm around the dragon emperor if i win a lot of roll-offs i you know uh, it could be good i mean the dragon emperor is a hot, tough cookie he's very hard to take down so you never know this could be the sort of list that just accidentally sneaks me into the very top of a gbhl tournament for the very first time so uh, very excited for this event uh, we will come to the uh, the interviews later on in the podcast as we normally do but first it's time for some Christians crystals that need answering yes that's right it's the time we delve into the email inbox and have a bit of a chat about uh various different things um that uh, you know the topic of the day the topic of the podcast and as i mentioned at the start of the episode uh this time's podcast uh, this podcast's topic is 40k and your sort of tales of woe or maybe tales of salt or god knows what you know what what is it that's making 40k have such a bad rep in uh certainly in the sbg world uh, i know it's got a terrible um, uh, terrible reputation i think uh and some people obviously phil carl uh, who emailed the point um said that you know he he, he thought that that was a bit unfair um so and we might also uh, maybe just uh, have a couple more 3D printing uh, emails in. Uh, I think there are some in here. I haven't haven't sorted it out. So uh, let's let's just delve into the inbox because there's actually quite a few people who got inter- uh, interested on this 40k topic. So let's go straight for Philip Ledbetter. Um, he has uh, emailed in. Good morning, Harry. Which uh, depends on where uh, when you're listening to this. It could be good morning or evening. But either way, Philip, thanks very much for getting in touch. He says, I hope this email finds you well. This will be a much briefer email than the last one about 3D which was a bit of an essay he does apologize just wanted to say i really enjoyed the questions that need answering episode it was great to hear so many different viewpoints about 3d printing even those that tended the same way all had very different reasons behind them i know it's a lot of work on your end but an episode like that every now and again with other hot topics would be great to hear with that in mind here are a couple ideas i have read this one before so apologies for that um i think i've saved it as unread because I wanted to uh, look back at it another time. So, uh, but thank you very much. He does suggest some uh, really interesting, uh, really interesting topics. But Philip, thank you very much for getting in touch. Um, what else can we do? Let's have a look at Chris Cousins. I remember reading this one. 
This is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one. Hi, Harry. I think the SBG community is too fixated on 3D pr- printing and is missing the real problem facing the game. Second-hand models. After all, if we don't buy old models from GW that have been in production for 15-plus years, they won't have any incentive to make new models. Obviously, stopping people from using second-hand models at events will be tricky to police, but if TOs ask players to send their copies of their receipts or a sworn affidavit that their models were purchased new along with their army list, we can stamp out this scourge. And for players who weren't playing the game 86 years ago when Ashrak was released, or for players in countries like Australia where official models aren't available, too bad. Bjornings are new they can play Bjornings. Also, we'll obviously need to stop allowing people to borrow armies as well, as the players you could instead be buying themselves. After all, we're supposed to be supporting GW, not making the game more fun and accessible for our friends and new players. Best wishes and enjoying the show. Chris makes a very forceful uh, point there. Um, (laughs) Sarcasm, they say, is the lowest form of wit, Chris But uh, I do appreciate your point And I think you've made a a fairly forceful point In a slightly different way to the other 3D printing uh, comments So thanks for getting in touch, really appreciate that Uh, TJ Major is uh, in touch And he is uh, commenting on the 40k neckbeardy bits Here we go, let's get stuck in I'm a long-time listener, first-time emailer I am in the process of listening to the newest episode and want to give my two cents on the 40k neckbeardy comments. I will say 40k is not for me. I've tried multiple times and the game system holds no sway in my interest, but I do think the size of the community means you will run into more negative play experiences than you would with other game systems. The more negative players, in my experience, are the ones who buy the newest, shiniest armies and follow the power creep to basically win games as soon as possible and don't pay attention to enjoyability of the game. However, the biggest thing that rubs me the wrong way with 40k is some of our local shop owners prefer solely 40k and being told that 40k is the big money maker, I'm going to focus on 40k, which is understandable, and ignore the needs of a growing Lord of the Rings community inside of a local store that has been growing definitely uh, got under my skin a bit. Sorry, the punctuation's uh, not all here, TJ, but thanks very much uh, either way. Uh, he says, I think 40k is a great way to get into the community and figure out what games you like and don't like and 90 plus percent of the people are absolutely amazing it's just the 10 percent of debbie downers that really rub the people the wrong way i enjoy the podcast and listen to the episodes while working or doing my nerd stuff looking forward to the possibility of playing you at articon tj sadly i'm not at articon this year or i don't think i will be Uh, i'm getting married the week before uh, and I don't have a ticket, so I might yet do it if uh, if I get back uh, from the honeymoon and uh, the the new wife says, "Bugger off! I don't want you. <laughs> don't want to see you for another weekend uh, after spending the whole week or uh, and a half with you. You never know. We'll see. Uh, anyway, uh, TJ, I appreciate your point. Um, yeah, I think I I think you you've got a point that there, there's something about the sort of power creepy element of new releases the churn the people following the churn i think that it encourages people who are interested in a certain type of gaming where you know maybe they're less interested in the hobby side of the 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 uh, the hobby uh, the gaming uh, gaming is top trumps and it means that you buy your big plastic toy you know you build it you you read the book and you do the rules in the most efficient way you possibly can and then maybe you move on um pretty quickly uh, which i'm not in for that i prefer to build an army that I can use a lot um, and maybe come back to and uh, make sure I spend a lot of time and effort painting it. So maybe that's that's why I like Lord of the Rings as well as obviously it being awesome because of the films and books. 
Right, who's this? This is Middle Earth in Mercia. This is uh, Sonny, a bearded 40k player, he says. I've been a 40k player about as long as I've played MESBG, so around 20 years. Personally, I entirely get where you were coming from with your comment. There are points that could be made about the social dynamics of being the most popular wargaming system, but I think that's proper essay territory. So, I'll stick to the low-hanging fruit. Good. The problems, as I see it, arise from, and he's listed some bullet points here, um, so Sonny, thank you very much for your bullet points. Number one, £600 plus to obtain all rules legally. Mm, that's true. Yeah, God, yeah, they are. The, the codexes are expensive, the rule books are expensive, and there's a lot of them. The number two, competitive release schedule. Buy the new thing with these new rules if you want to keep in the meta. The rule set, and then number three, the rule set has many, many gotcha moments, mechanics, and encourages bad experience lists. I think it'd be, I'd be interested to hear, uh, know what that means by gotcha moments, mechanics. I guess here if I can pull the rug out of you after stacking these certain things and just delete something. Uh, I guess that's what you're approaching there, Sonny. Uh, people are attracted to the law for many different reasons as it's extremely diverse as opposed to the commonality most Lord of the Rings fans share of the core values of Tolkien's works so uh, it's okay so it's an extremely diverse core so therefore you get a lot of different people I don't I don't quite know your point there but yeah a significant portion of the player base who only care about winning all of which I think then produce three problems, Sonny says. A massive gulf between the thematic and casual players and the competitive players. A rule set that can often drive negative experiences. And the chances of you sitting down opposite an unknown player and them having a significantly different interpretation of where the fun comes from is extremely high in 40k. I could explain in many more words, but I think the three points are reversed for MESBG. Yes, MESBG does have that guy occasionally. And yes, now and then someone does take a feel-bad list, like the Black Riders, to a GBHL 80-pointer event. Any public community will have some level of selfishness like that. I've had great experiences with 40k. It was my first love, but I've found it's just not worth my time playing against an open community. The chances of not enjoying it are too high. Friends and local gaming groups? Yeah, of course, no problem. Wargaming is an inherently complicated business with holes in the rules and without a spirit of goodwill and generous gameplay, the enjoyment falls apart. I think in the MESBG community you can expect that spirit, whereas the vast, uh, sorry, the very vast 40k community is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Sonny, bearded 40k player of the Middle Earth in Mercia podcast. I think you made some really cracking points there, uh, Sonny. I'm I, I'm not 100% sure on the old um, gotcha moments and stuff like that that you mentioned. Uh, I'll take your word on it. Um, but I do think, I, I guess there's something that some people have, have pointed out already, uh, and, I, and I think people generally know, the, the, the size of the 40k a play base, uh, 40k player base, just means i guess that you're you're more likely to encourage lots of different people in and i guess that's what you're getting at is that some people uh like to play certain kinds of games and that's the case in lord of the rings you know especially at big competitive tournaments there is a chance that in your first round you'll get absolutely fisted by someone uh, i'll name some names like uh, i don't know like a will champion who's the winner of the league ed ball who's a very regular uh, top tabler uh, there's loads and loads of other names that i could mention um uh, that, that are growing or, or you know really good competitive players and you know you can if you're if you're here for a very different reason to uh, to them then it might be a bit of a shock but i, I don't i don't think I don't think it's as common as it sounds like it is in 40k. I may be wrong about that because uh, I go to a lot of competitive tournaments and I have been absolutely smashed and felt a little bit shit about it sometimes. So, you know, that's that's just the way it is, but that's fine. 
as long as people aren't cheating and i think that the 40 uh, 40k mechanic and it sounds like you're backing that up it, it seems like it's defined it it sort of centers around these ideas of stacking and stacking and stacking ideas until you've got something so powerful that the other player just has nothing to do about it so or or has no uh, way of countering it so um interesting a really interesting uh, assessment there sonny thanks very much for getting in touch uh david lennon's been in touch uh david lennon he says um uh, first of all congratulations on the gp showing it was a truly encouraging episode to listen to yeah this is true um because the uh, I did really well. <laughs> I, I, I think I said in the last episode, I was really very proud of how well I did in that tournament. I think, was it five in the end or four out of seven? Uh, I think it was five, wasn't it? I can't remember. Anyway, um, it's interesting. Uh, with regard to the whole playing interviews twice controversy a few episodes back, I was... I was up late basing some minute, uh, last minute models and the extended episode length finished exactly as the last base was finished. So if anybody asks, just tell them that the extension was deliberate for me. Brilliant. Uh, I like that. Thank you uh, very much for adding that, David. I appreciate that. You know, having and, and sometimes having the winner of the tournament on twice means you just understand their, their psychology a little bit better, which is good. Uh, so David now delves into the, the depths of uh, 40k. To get to your question about why this community looks down on the 40k community, I've been either in or adjacent to a number of wargaming clubs and communities and every group has needed a rival. Interesting. The the Lord of Rings players look down on the 40k players. The Malifaux players make jokes about the Saga players. Necromunda players scorned Gorkamorka players. The Legends of the Old West players belittled the rule set used by the Legends of the High Seas players. The earlier war, uh, the early war flames. Sorry, the earlier flames of war players would say rather unpleasant things about the hyper competitive nature of the late war uh, flames of war players, and so on and so forth. After all, you cannot have an us without a them. Without them, there would be no sense of the us, and everyone wants to feel part of the us. Maybe it should not be this way, but here we are. I think that's a really depressing reason. And I think you're probably right. I think there is a thing in some parts of this community where there's a very much a, this is the best community, it's fantastic, everyone's really lovely, and it kind of, it's almost blinded to the the dark sides of it. And then there's, but as the community grows, uh, those people become more and more likely to be um, sort of anti a certain element of the uh, of the community. So, for example, the three D printing crowd versus the let's buy the made to orders, let's uh, go on eBay, get the second hand, all that. Us versus them. As you're right, I think you've you've really hit the nail on the head here, David. You, I, I t- totally agree. It's the grey area in the middle. Obviously, forty k players aren't all jackasses because tens of thousands of people across the world play uh, 40k and it's a hobby it's people playing toy soldiers it's a game they can't all be that bad but maybe we just like to think that we're better than everyone else because we play lord of the rings and it does have a very good rule set i can't i can't say that i think 40k has a better rule set but i also can't say that the people who play it are idiots or mean either so i yeah you've 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 landed you've landed on it uh, i think i think uh, sorry to undermine the rest of the answers but i think david uh, might have uh, hit the nail on the head there but that it probably depends on your cynicism uh, in the world as to whether or not you agree with him or not 
Anyway, let's carry on. Pete North's been in touch. Short time listener, first time caller. Your for Warhammer 40k debate really connected with me. As I'd like, to, uh, so I'd like to throw my two pence into the debate. Lots of two pence and two cents coming my way. I, soon I'll have a piggy bank full. Uh, contextually, I've been wargaming for nearly three decades. Introduced to the hobby by my dad, who was and is a fantastic. Oh, sorry, no, a fanatical. He's not fantastic. He's fanatical. <laughs> Historical gamer. Love that. I've played dozens of rule sets across genres and scales, and I've been fairly mediocre at all of them. I played the first edition of SBG back in the early noughties, along with Fantasy Battles from the nineties, which was my first on the passion. I gave up the hobby when I went to uni and discovered other recreational activities. Hmm. Yes, uh, yes, I know of which you talk. Uh, for me, it was alcohol. For some, it was women. For some, it was both. But uh, yeah, for many, it, it certainly uh, slide the toy soldiers under the bed when you get to uni and maybe pick them up again uh, at the end of uni once you've settled your friends and you know all that sort of stuff and you know that they're not going to completely chastise you for, for being a nerd uh, that's certainly what I felt um, but yeah anyway uh, uh, Pete North uh, clearly a ladies man here uh, here we go <laughs> carry on Pete uh, in about 2016 a friend of mine got back into the hobby and I went back down the rabbit hole this time into 8th edition 40k and here's where my point begins. I've already enjoyed it so far, so uh, point continues to be made. He says, The issue with the 40k rule set is not the players or the perceived toxicity, it's the very nature of the game's rule set. Hmm, that's interesting. Alternating turns with an unvarying priority leaves a colossal advantage with the person who has the first move. In SBG, if you have a powerfully meta list, you can still be hamstrung by priority and a very competent opponent. In 40k, a Tau army with a first shooting phase and an exposed opponent is going to be rolling a bucket of dice and watching their opponent pick up their carefully model, painted models and put them to the side. In 8th edition, this didn't seem particularly uh, an issue, as it was cruddy, but not especially unbalanced with most of the factions. However, as with most rule sets, an element of mission creep made the system unwieldy and a reboot was necessary. 9th edition was, and to my mind is, at its core the same, but GW made a core error. I feel that they used the rule set to sell the models. This resulted in new models being OP. I wondered when someone would say that in, um, uh, in these emails. Thank you very much for ticking my bingo card. Uh, and people buying their way to success uh, resulting in new models being OP and people buying their way to success and here's the 40k toxicity if you're a decent SBG player and you can afford one army you can develop that army into something sustainably competitive long term see the recent GP with 8 totally different lists at the top uh, yeah yeah, that's, that's a fair point um, I can't remember all of them I did read them out or, and I included them in the blog i think i can't remember what i did in the end uh but yeah you've got like some uh armies like for example ugluk scouts which maybe is good but certainly not considered like top top tier uh you've also got assault on legend uh, uh helms deep which is considered you know top tier but you know uh, what he's certainly the only one there with it and and aaron had used that a lot others goblin town same sort of thing but you know there was some missing weren't there so some of the top tier supposedly lists were absent which is interesting so uh let's sorry let's carry on um eight totally different lists at the top in 40k you can be the best player but if you take a faction with an out of date rule set and the current on vogue meta will stomp you in three turns if you have the cash and the mentality you can buy victory as a moderate player and as a good player with an average faction you may struggle 40k isn't toxic it's mismanaged no matter the hobby you'll have beardy players who are bad losers selfish players and even cheats the great thing about sbg is the rule set doesn't make buying a win easy Best of luck with Numenor. They were my first army, and I hope to reboot them one day. Lots to take in there. Lots to take in there. Uh, I, I mean, 
I, I don't really know the the 40k rule set I've played a bit um, recently uh, I'd played a bit for a, a bit I did for BBC I did a uh, which should still be available uh, I can share that and uh, various different things again um, yeah uh, and it was fine it was fun I had a good laugh with uh, Chris uh, Gross hi Chris who um, we, we had a good laugh with um, I just took some Necrons that I had apparently they were quite good but I didn't know that I, they're the only one I had and they've been in the box for ages um, yeah maybe maybe right maybe buying the win is easy I mean you could I suppose buying the win could you buy Bjornings is that going to buy you a win I don't know that's expensive you could buy a Dragon Emperor that's the most expensive thing in um, SBG that's certainly going to do well but yeah, I, I could beat a Dragon Emperor. I could beat a, a. I think I could. You know, it depends on. You can't buy the list and win automatically. That's true. I think there's a lot of skill involved. That's why I like SPG. Good point, Pete. Thanks very much. Uh, hello, my name is Dean N. Rogers. I'm a middle-aged wargamer with a couple of decades of gaming under my belt. That said, I've only recently picked up MESBG. Since 2000 or so, my games of choice were 40k and Warhammer Fantasy Battles. During that time, I also operated a game store out of Houston, Texas. When it comes to the perception of 40k gamers there are several things at play dean i cannot wait to read the rest of this because you've certainly set up your pedigree there i bet you've seen a lot of things running a gaming store first of all he says geography is important categorizing all 40 players 40k players worldwide as any uh, one group of or one style of players ludicrous i could only comment on my experiences in the states and mostly in texas that said in my experience 40k does have a reputation as a win-at-all-cost community. Tournaments encourage maximising efficiency without regard for theme or so-called fluff. Cheating or power gaming, intimidating power... Uh, sorry, brackets, intimidating play styles are the norm and pervasive. This style of competition is attractive to some people, but it has been my experience that they are the minority. I cannot count the number of people I've met that have had a negative experience with the game and its community. Most of these players move on to other systems with a friendlier f player base. See, this is the us and them thing, isn't it, though? That's the thing. Um, I feel like Games Workshop is mostly responsible for this. The game, in terms of rules, army books and new models, targets the competitive player and competitive play. Despite acknowledging the three styles of gameplay, match play, narrative play and open play, the bulk of company support targeting store owners as well as customers is centred on the competition. Even in that rare instance when a group of like-minded individuals choose to focus on narrative play, changes in the rules or a new model issues can create havoc on even that approach. I no longer play either 40k or any other GW product aside from MESBG because of this very issue. The point of gaming is to have fun with friends who enjoy the hobby. Watching middle-aged men angrily throw dice and models because they lose a meaningless match is no longer fun for me. Interestingly, Dean, you, you hint it may, may have been fun for you at one point in the past. Uh, it is a shame that this is the case in my geographic area because in the right group and environment, those games could be quite fun. I'm now embarking on MESBG because of its reputation. Uh, uh, sorry, because its reputation is more in line with what I desire from my hobby. I sincerely hope that 40k style of play never corrupts this experience. That's my opinion. Other mileage may vary. It seems to be the pervasive opinion, though. I mean, interestingly, you know, you, you've got a lot of experience about it. Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting that Games Workshop seems to be blamed. I, I think, I th yeah, I guess, I guess it's because 
if you don't support the comp- competitive side of things, you don't, you know, keep changing the game, keep keeping it fresh, people aren't going to buy new stuff. They're just going to keep playing with the same old models. Um, and luckily that works in a- a SBG because uh, just adding a new army or a new faction and maybe adding a new s- uh, legion or something, that can can switch up the meta and make something strong again. Uh, it's like a, a, a very, very advanced... Um, uh, rock paper scissors isn't it uh, if you do it right um, which I do think the middle earth team is pretty good at interesting points Dean thanks very much for getting in touch uh, Mr Andrew Cuthbert uh, is in touch and he's talking about 40k as well final email uh, for the podcast hi Harry loving the podcast keep up the good work I'll I'll take that to the bank and check it in. Thank you, Andrew. I'm writing in about your discussion on Warhammer 40k and the right or wrong perception that it is a toxic environment. Sadly, I agree to some extent. As an openly gay man, I've found some elements, and as with most things, it is a select minority of people with these views, to be quite misogynistic, sexist, and sadly homophobic. Myself and many other openly gay players have experienced hateful language and homophobic slurs. Again, this isn't a reflection of most 40k players, but it does seem to be a less welcoming atmosphere. In comparison, there's a sizable demographic of LGBT plus people in the Middle Earth SBG community, and perhaps due to Tolkien's core themes of love, it is by and large a fantastic and safe community for LGBT players to game in, with characters like Eowyn challenging gender roles and gay actors like Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen, playing iconic characters, perhaps this helps. I believe The Guardian ran an article on women participating in the hobby, and again, while it was overwhelmingly positive, there were still elements of sexism. Uh, Just my two cents. And again, this isn't an opinion of the entire 40k community, but just a minority. Yeah, I mean, I think... uh, I I, I don't want to belittle your opinion here. Uh, uh, If you've experienced hateful language and homophobic slurs, that sucks. And I can understand why you'd want to move away from a community that does that. I mean, I'm not going to say that all Lord of the Rings players are, you know, super friendly either, because, you know, you're going to get that in everywhere, aren't you? Every walk of life, if there's a thousand people in a room who play SBG, not that that exists, there's going to be a massive reflection of humanity in that room, and that, that can be everything. So, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to think that the, the Lord of the Rings community is a very, very... Uh, welcoming community I'd also suspect based on the reaction to the Rings of Power that there are certain elements of the Lord of the Rings fan base that are uh, you know a little bit less accepting of, of things like you know different races and uh, genders and, and, and so on so uh, it, interesting I, it's, a, it's a really different perspective one that I definitely wasn't expecting to hear Andrew but I really appreciate you getting in touch and, and sort of illustrating that, that, that point because yeah I, I think it, it kind of does back up that point about Warhammer 40k feeling like a toxic environment, I, I, it, it's sad. It's sad because I do, I have a great love for the the 40k law and the models. They look fantastic, but um, maybe maybe this kind of community is 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 you know this kind of certainly maybe this kind of perspe- perception, probably the the rotten uh, rotten apple, um, you know, ruining the barrel almost uh, for some people like yourself. Uh, so interesting. Um, thank you so much, Andrew, for getting in touch and for for everyone who got in touch on this topic. Uh, obviously, this topic is not uh, by. Uh, there's no line drawn underneath this one, but um, I'm not calling out for any more questions. I think uh, my summary would be. <sighs> It, there's there's definitely something about the game that, that encourages a negative uh, experience and and perhaps that's driven by a desire to to make money from Games Workshop which it's a company so it's got to um, 
who knows who knows it, it is the community by and large definitely more aggressive and angry and uh, misogynistic or, or you know just generally a bit salty all the time don't know maybe maybe the game does make you feel like that if you keep losing um you know all of your stuff to a tower gun line in the uh, in the first turn uh, and you get angry and you want to buy your way into winning something i don't know um ha- having said that i've spent the last two years playing spg trying to win um and i'm not buying my way in there but i'm certainly trying my best to win and uh I've certainly won a lot less sporting votes in the last few few years, so maybe that's why. Maybe maybe I've become uh, what I set out. Maybe I've 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 abandoned my jolliness uh, to to become a salty salty person uh, in SPG. Uh, I like to think not, um, but as I uh, uh, you know you never know. You, you always get. I guess you get a little bit more bothered by when the the, the dice betray you. Uh, if you're doing well in the tournament and you're sort of got a chance than you would if you're at the bottom anyway so it doesn't really matter uh interesting love love your comments uh thank you so much for getting in touch with all those different points feel free uh, to add or rebuke or come back to any of these different points um uh, entmootpodcast at gmail.com we'll have a riddle in the dark next time um so let's just remind you of what the riddle in the dark uh, was like it sounded a little bit like this <laughs> That's right. Who speaks next, and what do they say? We might have another. Uh, we will probably will have another uh, question that needs answering at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we'll stick with the riddle in the dark. So uh, answers next time on the Endmoot podcast. Right, that's the whole shebang. Building up to the tournament, we've got side by side without a friend. Uh, that's doubles. We've got six hundred points of. Cataphracts, we've got the Dragon Emperor, two Dragon Knights, uh, 18 Cataphracts, some with axe, one with a banner, one with a drum. How are we going to fare in four games of doubles? Let's head to the tables. Here, Mr. Robo, where are you off to? Stop. I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. Game one of the uh, side-by-side without a friend, and we're playing No Escape. So uh, this is a double scenario where uh, essentially your army split in two, like a lot of them, um, and you, you're deployed over each other's lines. So there's a kind of mashup in the middle where your leaders are, are duking it out, and uh, your kind of your support team has to come and fight fight through the the back of the enemy to to help out your leader. And playing Adam Sirens, who uh, Sirens 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 Sirens, yeah, yeah I thought so, um, and. Yeah, we, we, I don't think we've ever played before, although I've played for you at uh, one of my tournaments when you were late because you were stuck in a lift. That's a different story. Um, what have you brought to your 600 points of doubles? Yes, that was actually quite a funny moment because I remember I was stuck in a lift in London and you played the first hour for me. And I remember you doing a million things at the same time in yeah. that because obviously as the TO... And uh, we came back to win that, so that was good. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was great. <laughs> uh, good teamwork. Uh, this one was very much not teamwork because our imaginary friends were your Dragon Knight and my Gundabad captain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh yeah, it's worth stressing. Uh, the the points here are for for killing the either the leader in the centre or the leader of the secondary force. Banner and also breaking uh, is, is relevant as well. 
Yeah, so my general plan was to go in with Azog. Oh, yeah, we should say, yeah, you've got Azog um, <laughs> and your Gundabad captain, your Hawk. Uh, so it's the Legion? It's the Pits of Dolguldor. Yeah. So my thinking with doubles was you need a march. It's the most important thing. March, strike, mobility. And, I mean, you took something very similar in terms of mobility and strikes. Mm. So it was very much a who could close on who and where we were going to fight. And it just so happens that... I think the first turn was quite useful because I won priority that first turn. Mm. And what that meant was I was hiding Azog behind a building and with his fell sight, I got into one guy. I was thinking you might call a move to get out of dodge. You didn't. I then moved straight into one side. You moved the Dragon Emperor and the rest of the knights towards my secondary force, honing in and obviously using your march to come across. So was, your general strategy was excellent. I just think maybe you needed to tie up one or two bits earlier on but your general strategy with the cavalry with the 12 inch banner was very very good see i i think i think you're right i definitely should have called that a first move my, my worry was that um if you close quicker i would uh, i was facing a duel against azog and azog's got six points of might and the higher fight value so i was i was really concerned about conserving as much um, as I could so I moved my army away, tried to get away from Azog so your lines couldn't clash as much but still send in um, some guys maybe chip a couple of hunter orcs off in the first turn uh, I think I got like one, one kill or something like that which, which may have helped but generally it, it just meant I couldn't because I, I was hedged between your, your marching Gundabads and, and a couple of hunter orcs and stuff and Azog coming behind me. I don't think there was really much room for manoeuvre because the Dragon Knight's the only, uh, Dragon Emperor, sorry, is the only thing that moves slowly in this army. So no matter what, Azog's going to catch me, and I think I need the, that, those might points when he does. Absolutely, and, and you were right to call uh, a defence once and a strike once to, to stop me uh, bulging you, or I should say Azogging yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's got free heroic combats in this Legion, which is crazy good. It's Elendil good. Oh, yeah, Elendil good until... He whiffs. <laughs> yeah, and which he has done a few times in this game, to be fair. I think there were a couple of combats where, he, even though he was fighting against heroes, he didn't get the as many or wounds as he really could have done. Yeah, I, I could say the same for the Dragon Emperor. I mean, he was pretty solid with all this crew, killing Hunter Orcs. But I will say, the thing with um, this matchup is I've played it before, mm. and Azog died against Jamie Wiggins with Michael Haskell up at uh, Warhammer World Doubles. Uh, he flash killed Azog, even though I had the Hemi armor because of the all the attacks mm. needing sixes. This in this legion, you only need fives to kill him. So, I think if you were to win the strike off one on one, I was actually scared of the Dragon Emperor. So all mm. I wanted to do was bulg you to get the might out and yeah. then go in afterwards. Yeah, which is a fair point. And and I think I never, I, I was conscious that I, that I don't have a lot that's kill, uh, killing stuff. So I needed the Emperor to churn through some things because I with with all of your uh, shenanigans for the priority rolls that it, it just meant that my cavalry weren't getting the charges that I really wanted. Having said that, the fight value five, uh, even piercing striking were on some of the guys with axes, it really, really paid dividends here. Yeah, you know what was great about this game was there was there were moments where I kept winning priorities and you kept winning fights, but ultimately the luck was completely balanced. It wasn't a luck-based game at all. Um, very yeah. close, and and yeah, went right down to the wire. Yeah, absolutely, until the very last turn, where realistically you should have won, and maybe even by a disastrous amount for me, because uh, as I got into the last turn, I'd, previous turn, as you said, you've been doing the calling the heroic combats with your fight seven dude. I had to strike with both the emperor and the knight the last turn because uh, the dragon knight had uh, uh, was worth two VPs, um, and the so then you kind of waited the following turn no might you charge the dragon knight so it should be really pretty easy for uh, the uh, bot, uh, azog to take him out but alas you only scored one wound off the uh, the three dice you needed to get three pluses on which 
because uh, you needed to spend your one last point of might to win the combat as well. So it was it was brutal because if you'd have done that, killed him, charged into the uh, the Dragon Emperor who was uh, fight six. So you know you'd be surrounded the Dragon Emperor. He already lost this fight, but just managed to squeak through against the Hunter Orc Captain and a few other dudes. But uh, if Azog had joined the fight, it would have been an extra two victory points for you there. Plus you'd have killed the uh, the leader and uh, yeah, maybe even taken out my last banner as well. Yeah, I mean, if buts and maybes, it was a very, very close game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, real pleasure. And it really was down to the wire. It went, it was back and forth. There was a moment I thought I was in trouble because mm. you were killing Hunter Rocks quite quickly. Yeah. And and I, was, right I was closing in on that banner. <laughs> I tried a couple of times to get it, did, but it didn't quite did. do. Kept you kept away and my Gundabad captain had a, a clutch uh, courage roll because mm. yes. you tagged Azog off on that. Yeah. So yeah, brilliant game. Very close. Great game. Ended four all as well so we both broke each other uh, and we both had banners remaining so it means we're probably going to be drawn up against each other in round two let's find out game number two total conquest and facing up against nathan talbot everyone he's back on the podcast welcome back well thank you for having me again yeah it's, pl it's a pleasure so uh, we just heard the first game i drew against adam and um, how did you do in your first game was it a draw as well it was also a draw yeah a really swingy draw mm. it swung both ways big lots of times but ended up with a five all um kill fest Five all kill fest, fantastic. So, with that in mind, uh, we're playing Total Conquest, which uh, I suppose not many people know all the uh, uh, the double scenarios. But this is a kind of like a cross between uh, Contest of Champions, where you have to deploy your leaders' warbands in the centre. Uh, but there are also objectives. Um, so there are five objectives scattered about the field, each worth uh, a maximum of two points. And there's one for breaking the enemy uh, and one for wounding or killing the uh, enemy leader. So. So it could be a potentially interesting one. First of all, um, what is your army? You've gone with the Red Alliance because there's a theme for this tournament that rewards it. What have you got? So I've gone with, um, as my, in theory, leader, not that it's worked out that way so far, uh, Treebeard with Merry and Pippin and Boromir of Gondor, as he was the last member of the Fellowship that Merry and Pippin saw before that point, uh, and to force the Red Alliance, uh, the King of the Dead, and a bunch of uh, warriors and a couple of riders to, to make up the numbers. Yeah, because it would be, uh, it's always red without Aragorn, isn't it? So that's interesting. Um, and you mentioned there at the start, uh, because you don't have a legendary legion, so you, you have to roll off for your leader. Uh, so in this one, it became King of the Dead. And I think, basically, uh, we've had a chat before we start recording, and I think that's kind of uh, the swingiest thing here in the game. It's a 50-50 for you to decide whether it's Treebird in the centre or all of your dead folks. Yeah, it comes down to either having Treebeard and Boromir in the middle to rampage and kill stuff, or hoping the King of the Dead and the Army of the Dead can just hold on for long enough for the others to arrive. Mm. Um, your, your, your turn one sword goes dissipate horribly, <laughs> and, and then it was kind of a, 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 a race to the middle to see who could get there first. first and yeah. Yeah, and well, and crucially, because um, all of your troops were kind of set, sat in the centre, um, and you know you're calling moves and things like that to try. Oh well, you only called one, didn't you? Or I don't actually have anything that you did. Anyway, you're you're trying to essentially deal with what, all, my, all my cavalry charges and all that sort of stuff, which means they're not able to really run off to to grab the objectives, which are the the decider here. Whereas my warbands. I didn't really matter. I didn't really mind where you put them. Uh, I, I didn't mind either of the roles, even though they weren't ideal, um, because they're so fast. They could just run on, and I knew they were going to pretty much grab the objectives. Although I did send the um, uh, the Dragon Knight and uh, a couple of dudes into combat a couple of times. But I think that was kind of the decider, really. It just the side of the, uh, the the table we ended up in meant that Treebeard and Bozza were sort of slogging it up the field for a long time. And by the time they got there, there wasn't a lot left. No, there wasn't. Um they, they, they had to split in the end because the, the army of the dead sort of fell apart in the middle. So Boromir went after some uh, some guys that were chasing objectives. Um, Treebeard kept, kept sort of trundling up for, up to, up the middle, 
Um, you obviously were very, very smartly shielding off or backing off where you could. Um, the Hobbits were hurling rocks, but they weren't very effective this time. Yeah, sadly, no kills from the Hobbits. No, not this time. They, they killed a banner five or six times in, in my first game, so that was pretty impressive. Um, but this time, yeah, th- n- not, not quite so good. Uh, sore arms now. Yeah. And P- Pippin ran away as well. So uh, Yeah, we, we, I didn't realise that that was a possibility, but apparently Pippin can run away. I thought that maybe he wouldn't, but yeah, uh, so, you, so you've, uh, you've rolled for the thing, which actually ended the game um, probably in, a, in an ideal moment for me. Um, but essentially, I mean, there, there were a couple of swingy things that happened here that, that really were uh, frustrating for you I'd imagine one was that uh, Boromir um, and there were two things I suppose Boromir and Treebeard were trying to separate off you sent Boromir to deal with some of the folks on an objective which included a dragon knight and um, Treebeard wanted to go off to the centre but there was a moment where you kind of had to they were about six inches apart or they were maybe just under uh, and you kind of had to call a move with one of them to get to the uh, to get Treebeard into the middle and Boromir to get into the side. And I think what you should have done is call a move twice so that you could sort of dictate priority there. But instead you didn't, which which I think allowed me to shield Treebeard off for another turn and also get the charge on, on Boromir, which which was kind of instrumental in the end. But I, I, I suppose that's not often the, that it happens where you've got two heroes that really want to go different directions and, plen- and both have plenty of might. So I guess it's not something you immediately think of. No, it wasn't. And I think that that was the issue because there was the, do, I, do they both go left or do they both go straight on? Or do they split? And then I got so fixated on making sure they both got their right, the right thing. I didn't think they should just go for it, mm. spend the might, and burn it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm conserving, conserving might more than I needed to mm. because I, I had far more might than you did, assuming yeah. you didn't give heroes. Yeah, exactly. Which, which in the end, I did. Uh, I got very lucky. You rolled a one on the strike off uh, against the Dragon Knight, and I had two uh, the Dragon Knight charging and another dude with a um, with an axe uh, in in the combat, and I got exactly the right amount of wounds. I got three wounds, um, and the last two were with the Dragon Knight, so I got a point of might back there, which was very handy to take Boromir, a very scary threat off the table. Um, in the middle, I, I think I just I think maybe you just got a bit distracted um, because the objectives weren't in the middle and they're all scattered around the outside um, and there was one objective in the middle plus one point for the Dragon Emperor and maybe some points for breaking me but I had so many guys running around the, the field that it was unlikely you were going to break me here so I think maybe you just went went hard into the centre because it was three points when perhaps you could have uh, benefited some way in uh, getting some cheap easy points elsewhere first but uh, either way I, I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah no, you're right again it can't, if the, if the King of the Dead had been the one coming on from Maelstrom, the, the army dead would have scattered about yeah. and given you thought you'd have to go in hunting parties then and then, then terror checks become a much bigger deal. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a race to the middle. At that point I thought, I can't, I can't claim as many objectives as, as, as you can, so I have to go for the leader kills, maybe the centre and, and the break, and it, it didn't quite come off the way that I would, I would, I would have liked in the end. Well, sad news, uh, but it was a 10-0 win for me, so great news for, for the Eastlings. And to be fair, very, very few Eastlings died. Uh, Nathan was very unlucky. Uh, only two guys died in the end, which was pretty grim. I, those, those early charges, the fight value uh, uh, on my cavalry charging, all on the, uh, and the courage, I suppose, as that helps, uh, charging all those king, uh, the dead folks just managed to do the work. And, uh, yeah, ended up with a 10-0 win, so we'll see where we go from here. Uh, good luck in the rest of the tournament. Yeah, thank you. Good luck to you. Game number three, take and hold, uh, playing at Stuart Bluck. Stuart Bluck, that's right, yeah, Stuart. And um, take and hold is basically 
this one where your army is once again divided, as is often the case in doubles, and you're deployed in one, one half is deployed in one corner, the other half is in another corner, and you've got to rush to the centre and grab the objective. Stuart, first of all, um, you've got a beautiful army. It's absolutely gorgeous, a lovely paint job of uh, lots of Rohan and Lothlorien. But give us a breakdown. What have you got in your force for today? Uh, so I'm running the Defenders of Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Uh, so I've got, in one warband, I've got Theoden with a big batch of Royal Guard, Halith and some Galadrim with spears. And then in the other warband, I've got Aragorn with a big batch of just normal Warriors of Rohan and some Galadrim with spears and bows. Yeah, so there's plenty of stuff there, plenty of shooting, which of course there's a little bit of a disadvantage in, in these sorts of scenarios where there's a rush to the middle. You didn't get much of a chance to shoot. No, um, I got I got very lucky with the, the throwing spears. Oh, yeah, you did actually, yes. <laughs> the, the throwing spears did a lot of work because you obviously can run in and, and you could stand there. But there was there was a bit of a standoff at one point, so the, the elves did get to do a bit of shooting, mm. and then it was um, it was a bit of a mess in the middle after that. Yeah, I think the um, you're right. The, because I've got so few models um, here, even, even though you're getting a... a maybe not a massive amount of shooting done you were chipping away like maybe one or maybe two a couple of turns but I think it was in total something like five cataphracts went down to, to th- uh, sort of spears and bows before we'd even really sort of properly started churning away which is a big swing for me having uh, 18 models in total so I, I'm down to 13 already at the start which I was really worried about but having said that because the, because of the division of the two forces I think that really really helped me um, focus my dragon knights onto one flank and, and basically just go hell for leather and try and kill as many of the normal Rohan as possible and that pretty much worked oh absolutely uh, so the idea behind what I my list is that um, Aragorn because he can call a heroic march every turn can catch up and join the two forces very quickly but you were so fast you just cut through the middle of the army uh, through the middle of the board so there was this if, if Aragorn tried to join up with Theoden he would have just got swarmed by cataphracts so it ended up as like two different Two, almost two different battles in the side and the speed really helped you there I thought yeah it, it's, it's played uh, played really well to my advantage in these ones but having said that I think what you did do really well was with Theoden in particular uh, you castled up so the objective the central objective is on kind of the right hand side of a five inch wide maybe eight nine maybe ten inches long uh, bit of um, field and some fences on either side of it and this this was a crucial bit of terrain because your guy, your Theoden and, and co sort of marched up to this seven inch or thereabouts gap between the left hand side of this field and I was trying to come around the other side of this field and it just it just didn't really work because that you had so little frontage for me to you know uh, be able to surround you with my cataphracts that that it was I was yeah I was just sort of bouncing up against the wall and, and not really doing very much damage I did I did win some fights but I didn't kill a lot which just because I didn't get the, the sort of weight of numbers that I'd really want so I started seriously losing that flank and and you were saying just after the end of the game perhaps I'd made a mistake by uh, once again not sending the dragon emperor right to the right to the front uh, yeah well yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say anyone's made a mistake but when you you, you at one point you contemplated charging the the dragon emperor into my front line of 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 Royal Guard and, and Theoden and you chose not to and I was really glad about that because then they were only fighting like three or four cataphract at a turn and with Halith engaged that means I'm on equal fight even on turns you charge I've got equal dice because the spear supports mm. I've got to fight six character in the front line so it made it made that quite a, a, a decent exchange for me on that flank. Absolutely and, and I think I made a mistake pretty early on uh, that I was I had in my head that Theoden was fight five and um, I think that was a big boo-boo because a couple of t- I was I was thinking right I'll send my fight five cataphracts into Theoden uh, you know I might win a few might draw a couple might suck some might out he might have to strike whatever any of those things um, instead he was just winning because I'd, I'd completely miscalculated that and you, I think only in the second turn did, did you uh, did you sort of 
bring it up, which I, I, it was not your fault. You didn't keep it hidden or anything. It's just that I'd completely forgotten that Halleth was giving a, a plus one fight to everyone within range of him. So really, really tough there. Yeah. So if I, I think my concern was that the gap was so small. I think it was, I mean, it must be about six inches. Yeah, it's about six inches wide. So the, and the Dragon Emperor would take up so much of that room that all you'd be able to do is just funnel everyone into the sides of the, the Dragon Emperor. I wouldn't, wouldn't get many other cataphracts in that gap. And he'd end up getting surrounded or, or you know, uh, certainly a lot of dice against him, which is a bit of a precarious position for him to be in. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, you know, you, you'll know what you're doing with him more than I do. But um, it, it did mean that my our lines, I got very stuck in that, in that gap after a while. And it was... It didn't go so well on the other flank for Aragorn, yeah. so it was, maybe it was absolutely the right idea because the Dragon Emperor does give all the buffs out to everyone else, and that that's worth just as much. Absolutely, and, and I was I was conscious of keeping those buffs as well because you've got a lot of fight five there as well, so I really did need that fight five. And as you say, on the other flank, uh, I I think the combination of priorities worked relatively well early on for me because I'd lost the priority, oh, well certainly in the, the Aragorn flank, because I'd lost uh, all the priorities basically for quite a long time but it did mean that I could charge and pick off some uh, dudes with the dragon knights and they churned through the normal Rohan warriors like butter but of course the risk of that was that eventually Aragorn was going to start churning through them and he did, I mean he's still there in the end of the game, he's right in the middle of the objective uh, but I chopped quite a lot of that, that flank and held you off for quite a few turns which I was, I was quite pleased with but in the end, I think the problem here was that the game just went on that little bit too long for me to be able to hold off the central objective. And I played some I was quite, moves that I was quite proud of, like dismounting the uh, Emperor and dropping all the, the guys off the palanquin to drop a load of extra guys into the central objective. But alas, it just didn't quite work out in the end. <laughs> the jumping, jumping the Emperor off the palanquin was, um, was brilliant and I, it took me completely by surprise because obviously we were fighting over the middle and it took me a long time for both my flanks to sort of come in there whereas you were sitting on the middle from very early on. Mm. Um, so it turned into a bit of a desperate rush to get enough, get enough guys in. Obviously the advantage I had was I had more guys to start with which yeah. was helped because the casualty count's probably very similar mm. but uh, I just had more dudes to keep the bodies going and then... Um, as you say, just the game went on and on. There was, I think, we rolled about four, four or five times for the game to end, and it just didn't, just yeah. didn't finish for you in, in positions where you had the game won. Yeah, and that, that, that's the frustrating bit. Where the emperor was alive um, for the first three or four, well, first four of those, and uh, and I, I'm pretty sure I had the the most guys on the objective. And the first two of those, I think, I want to say, the emperor had uh, hadn't taken a wound yet either. So uh, as the game just wore on, the the attrition to my troops was was getting really decisive. The extra six bodies from the palanquin really help plug the gaps but it wasn't enough in the end uh, uh, you know just the weight of numbers were you and, and and also crucially Aragorn is just an absolute monster in uh, the end game I mean he's his his might is just it's yeah it's just crazy good isn't it because you just you could just win every single priority after after a while which was which was brilliant so uh, and keep things like the dragon knight away and and tucked away in the corner for a long time so yeah it was brilliant uh, really really well played I think maybe maybe if I'd have uh, the game had ended uh, a couple of turns ago or maybe any of the, the three before that it might have might have squeaked a, a victory for me but in the end a 6-2 loss the dragon emperor went down in the final turn and you had eight to five guys on the final objective so so yeah a, a, a decisive win in the end uh, for you Stuart well done thank you it was a, it was a really good game really enjoyed it oh, thanks very much cheers round four of side by side without a friend and it's the final one and we're playing something called cornered which is actually probably misnamed mis sort of uh, named because really it's surrounded uh, essentially what happens is um, in the middle 
uh, this is on the double scenarios. In the middle, uh, you've got Team A's primary deployment, and then there's a six-inch gap, and then there's a circle drawn around it, a bit looking a bit like a bullseye, um, and I can deploy into that. And then there's a final outer rim where the uh, final chunk of the opposing side gets to deploy. Playing up against Callum. Uh, Callum, first of all, just give us an idea of what you brought. Uh, so I've got Imrahil um, and uh, Huron. I thought they're two pretty good beat sticks, and I thought the bolt throwers a bit more of a added spice. Um, and it's a pretty standard list. So just five knights of Dalamroth on foot, five pike, uh, five axemen. Sorry, uh, two knights mounted with lances, and then eight fountain court guard, four rangers with spears, and a banner, and then the. Um, bolt thrower yeah so a solid line and we were talking about this at the start about which side because you have to roll um, even though um, uh, thingy's uh, the, the hero of legend he still could be the secondary leader and we were d- d- discussing at the start whether you wanted him in the middle or not and you, you said not but I mean it, it kind of worked out differently but what, what was your reasoning for not wanting uh, the, the Dol Amroth contingent in the centre surrounded I think it's mainly because I've got the two knights in there and I didn't have much, I guess, foot force. The main foot force was with uh, Huron and I thought... And the higher defence, I guess. And the higher defence. And if I had Huron in the centre, I could maybe put a bit of a defensive circle around with the FCGs and the Rangers. I couldn't really spread my line out too much with the um, with the Dol Amroth. But then I guess you deployed differently and it kind of made it a little bit more um, forgiving, almost. Yeah, I, I think I, I probably made a bit of a mistake with deployment because um, I, I kind of deployed in three contingents scattered around and the intention was I'll just smash straight into the centre. And it kind of didn't work out like that. I, the, the, because I, I think you won, uh, you won the first priority or something and um, I had I kind of moved moved some of my guys to get up because the the board edges were, it felt really close at the start like yeah the, the, because of the it was the six inch bubble in the middle then a six inch line then a six inch deployment for me and then there was only like six inches or less uh, almost to, to the outer objective so I felt like I had to run away from the um, guards of the fountain court and so on who had deployed on my sort of left flank um, and instead I ended up being chanced by the, the, the Dol Amroth so I kind of felt like I was the one trapped even though I was meant to be the one surrounding you Yeah, I think the Knights, it was a bit of a blinder wasn't it, pulling the Knights out and then charging mm. with the 3 inch bubble of Imrahil and the fight buff, I figured I could probably try and take on your Dragon Knight um, and then with the way that I deployed my, my Minas Tirith uh, contingent, Hurin and the FCG just came up behind mm. that second block Yeah, and it was crucial because in that first turn you got the, the Knights uh, the two knights charged into one of my cataphracts and the uh, dragon knight, and behind uh, Huron charged into the the banner, which was just uh, which I'd, I'd not care, I just couldn't get away. There's no way I could have moved. I just deployed them badly. They should have all been uh, in a bubble with the um, the dragon emperor, which is which is a big mistake. But but in that first turn, I mean, the dragon knight was surrounded. I thought, why? Well, okay, I'm in trouble here. I've got a fight five guy against me. I've been trapped in, hemmed in by loads of other stuff. Heroic strike. Uh, just think, oh, I don't want to have to deal with um, with this. I think it was sort of. There's only three wounds in the end because yeah. of the way the the fights worked out and the the banner died quickly and all this sort of stuff. It was horrendous. But the dragon knight goes down in the first turn, which was pretty grim. Really brutal. Was three straight sixes. Um, I felt it felt dirty, mm. but I think from there it was a bit. Oh, it was a bit like grin your teeth, like yeah. yeah. It, it, it was, it was unlucky, but then you know these things happen, and um, I think the, it was just sort of compounded by the fact that in the very first turn you had one lucky bow shot which killed my drummer, which yeah. I, I deployed in a. I, I was like, I was, I sort of 
giving it all Billy Big Balls over here, going like, oh, well, I'm, I've, I've moved him here so that I've got a 12, he's 12 inches away from just the Dragon Emperor, so that means the Dragon Emperor can m drum and move really fast and nobody else is affected it, by it. But it was just left open. Yeah, so one, I thought he can take one bow shot, right? No, he died. The bow, so that the bow, the ba uh, sorry, the banner, the drums, and the dragon knight go down in the first turn, and I think maybe one more uh, cataphract as well, and I got maybe one guy in return for that. So that felt like, and you know, that's that's four out of a 18 model army. It's a big swing at the start, uh, and from then I, I think I, I felt deflated, and I'm sure I, I, I sure I, tr I was trying desperately to kind of think right, how am I going to claw this back? And the way I was going to claw it back was by focusing on the objective in the centre, because that's worth four victory points so oh so wrong i was looking at the wrong one yes yeah, so it's four yeah. victory points if i can uh, manage to double the number of things on the terrain and I, I i was confident i was gonna be able to do that um for quite a few turns and but again it, like in the previous game i played and i mentioned this at the start against you that it was just the grind of it meant yeah. that you were slowly wearing me down yeah that's the that's very much how it was i think because i had all of the foot all the foot soldiers i think you had we're knocking out those guys in the start are just able to surround you, swarm you, get Hurin in on the targeted fights, get the fight five when you fight four until the Dragon Emperor was away. Yeah. And then it was just chipping them down, chipping them down, and then eventually the mass just kind of kind of kept pushing over to the left towards the objective. Yeah. And um, yeah, just trying to keep Imre Hill safe as well at the same time, trying yeah. to keep him dancing around. Yeah, because he, he was doing all the work, well, not all the work, but he was, he was steadily killing one or maybe two uh, a turn. And, and uh, you know, I, I sort of, because I'd lost one of the Dragon uh, Knights with still one point of might on his uh, roster, I, I'd lost one of my strikes, so I kind of felt like, oh, I'm going to have to be a bit cautious with this. But I was trying to chase Immerhill down, but you kind of shielded him off quite cleverly. And then the other Dragon Knight went straight for Hurin. He'd got one point of might at this, this point, I have some moves and stuff. Um, and we'd, we'd have the strike off. I won the strike, so I got the higher fight value. Uh, and then I ended up losing the fight as well, even with the, the three dice. And the two re-rolls from the uh, Legion bonus and the banner, it was, yeah. And, and at that point, I think the Dragon Knight, he, he felt bloodied and uh, wounded and he kind of abandoned ship and uh, tried to get some kills elsewhere. But, but I think by then I was so low on might that, that it was, you kind of had the, had the upper hand. It came down to that final strike-off at the very end. We had one point of might each. It was Dragon Emperor, eventually got into Imre Hill um, and it just happened to be... It's just a look of the dice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we both we both rolled high. Uh, we we got the fight ten each, uh, and you surrounded me. So I was I was thinking this is this is go hard, go home. Um, but and I, I thought my I think here was I've got a four plus to get the um, to get the uh, uh, fight ten, and I've got the elven blade, so I've got a bit of an advantage here. Um, and sadly, that didn't work. Um, we rolled up, rolled up, and uh, got the got a six. So I, I lost this sort of sixty-six percent chance thing, which is always frustrating. Um, but crucially, I, I didn't get a chance to wound or uh, kill Imrahil. Huron would have denied some of the VPs, but because you have to protect your leader as well, yeah. uh, if I'd have killed him, it would have uh, it would have given you a sort of three points less, which is uh, tricky. So either way, uh, and also I had the banner on on the big uh, emperor. So once he went down, that was the banner gone and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was a big big swing uh, in the last couple of turns. There was one turn where I had I had the win I think either a win or a draw it was yeah. close I didn't do the final tally but it was pretty close uh, in the end it was just waiting for that one or two wasn't it yeah it and was. it just didn't come it didn't come the story of my life with these broken things anyway <laughs> uh, it ended up being a 12 nil loss uh, so a bit of a disaster to end the day but I don't I don't feel too bad I learned some lessons and I found out that actually this cataract kind of force is pretty cool isn't it it's pretty I like it it's uh, you got the gleaming hordes so yeah. that's always pretty good 
But I guess, yeah, just splitting them up from the Dragon Emperor in the Legion is not what you want to do. Yeah, and, and I think I just miscalculated the deployment size and, and how quickly you were able to engage me in the middle. I needed to be in one spot and pushing forward, uh, and instead I kind of sporadically got separated out and pulled apart, so uh, like pulled pork or something. Anyway, uh, so there you go, uh, 12 nil loss, but uh, Callum, well done and congratulations. Thank Cheers. you very much, Harry. Cheers. So there you go, uh, four games, uh, what was it, a, a, a draw and then a win and then two losses in a row uh, for the tournament. So uh, an unusual one and, and to be fair, uh, the draw against uh, Adam and the start, I think I think I was lucky to get that, uh, you know, uh, well I wasn't, I don't think I was lucky, I think Adam was just really unlucky, um, his uh, Azog just failing miserably to wound, a, like Dragon Knights are the flimsiest of flimsy heroes, they go down to a, you know, a Hunter Orc or something like that, or, or you know, or a, a Minas Tirith warrior with a spear support, uh, and Azog wounding on threes for everything, and he couldn't quite do the deed, uh, I think multiple attempts to, to kill that uh, Dragon Knight, so um, yeah, rotten luck from Adam um, but uh, uh, I, I think I was probably, you know, I Again, in a similar sort of way against Nathan, uh, the 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 one win, um, Treebeard, uh, and the uh, the sort of army of the dead dudes. Um, it was just it was purely down to the roll of a dice at the start of the game. If Treebeard and Boromir had been his leaders, um, my guys would have just collapsed. I had nothing that could deal with Treebeard and Boromir at once. No, there's just there's just no way. I had yeah, I could have maybe a Dragon Knight here there, but like like the way that the armies split up. I had one heroic strike in the centre, and you know, a heroic strike against Treebeard, I might get lucky and do a wound, maybe two, if I got really lucky. But you know, two turns later, uh, chances are I'd have lost um, at least one fight, and you know, that's that's one dead um, Dragon Emperor, uh, especially with Boromir chopping about as well. So yeah, no no chance at all um, if if that had happened. But as it as it happened the other way around, I did have a really good chance of uh, of chopping away at his uh, undead and then claiming the objective. So really really interesting. Um, oh, and, and that's the other part of that is that if he had this big stuff in the middle, uh, dominating my central stuff, then his his ghosts could spread out across the field uh, and really contest the uh, the objectives, which he just couldn't do because they were all sat in the middle and I'd pinned them down. So uh, really interesting. Uh, roll off at the start of the game it's usually a sort of roll off at the end of the game that decides it but I think really that was a roll off at the start that did and then Stuart um, I think I'm, if I'm honest uh, not that Stuart played it badly I think I was unlucky to lose that one um, I think I think it was two or three or maybe even four turns that uh, I could have uh, it was definitely a three uh, that I would have won um the uh, won the game uh, if if the if, if it ended after uh, me being broken, um, but it just went on that one or two turns uh, beyond the point at which you think this is this is getting a bit silly now. Look, you expect like two, two or maybe three, maybe four even, but five rolls uh, uh, higher than a two to uh, uh, to keep the game going is it's always a little frustrating. But having said that, well played game by Stuart. Um, he he did it really well, and I think. In some parts of me think that uh, it would have been slightly sneaky for me to have won that game, um, uh, not early, but but like if it ended on time. I think I think I, my kind of strategy was a little bit. I don't know whether it was underhand. That's probably not the right word because I was playing to try and end the game, uh, claim the objectives, and end it. Um, and I suppose that's always a. a and it's a way of winning the game that's not necessarily the sort of winning by domination or winning like it's, it's always feels a little underhand if you if you 
pull the rug out from underneath someone and um, you know roll a one and a two to end the game before they have a chance to properly secure their their better position in terms of gaming he his army had a better position he had had you know all the right people in the right places uh, i'd played my uh, emperor pretty poorly um you know i misplayed against theoden because apparently I, I, for some reason i think i started the, the game thinking Haleth doesn't benefit um heroes he just benefits troops so i was thinking um you know theoden's fight five so i can send fight five cav at him uh, you know, and then maybe make, force him to strike if he wants to chop through. But that was that was foolish. Or maybe take his horse out. That was that was the other idea. Um, so yeah, uh, that was that was just some bad plays that I did. Uh, and I think because of that, I, f- I would have felt a bit a bit lucky if I'd have sneaked the victory out from underneath him. And the final turn as well, poor deployment. I played it really badly. Um, I just I sort of had this circle of dudes, and I divided my army in such a poor way. Uh, at the start of the game and didn't really calculate simple things like you know he had Hurin behind a row, two guy a row of two people um and and you know I, I didn't counter call a heroic move so he just he could just move his guys along and then charge Hurin past and I'd sort of measured to be out of six inches away from the the line of troops but didn't measure to be out of 10 inches away from Hurin so so it just felt and, and then I lost a, re- a, a frustrating amount of stuff in that first turn, which just left me vulnerable uh, to the end conditions uh, of the game. I, you know, I just never, I never had any kind of killing power left after. Well, not, not none, but uh, I had a lot less killing power after I'd lost that first dragon knight in the first turn with both points of might as well. So very frustrating um, that that last one. But uh, again, it wasn't it wasn't uh, Callum uh, being lucky. It wasn't uh, me being necessarily even unlucky. It was just poor deployment, poor play from my behalf which yielded um, a pretty disastrous tournament really and the in the the result of things a win and a lot a draw uh, it's certainly not my best um not that I'm bothered by that because it was really good fun trying out um this this cool idea and and honestly despite having done so poorly I actually think it's got real legs uh, literally it's got so many legs it's got uh, four legs in each uh, each model but uh, and some that you know the blank was even more um but I, I think this sort of army all cav obviously rohan probably a better choice but all cav in doubles uh, with drums absolutely brilliant i mean honestly i think it could uh, it could have been fantastic all rivendell knights that sort of thing may well do really really good stuff um in in especially in doubles but also just this kind of heavily movementy scenario it did make me reconsider whether you know uh, uh, the dragon emperor and cavalry is a sort of underutilized uh, thing because when they when i i think i've had to play I, I wish i'd have played it a bit better because then i'd have a better idea of how good it actually is if that makes sense because i know that the the reason i lost wasn't because of bad luck and you know being salty it was because i played some uh, bad deployment and I, and I did some stupid strategy if i'd have done those things you know played a little bit better which i knew I, I you know i'm capable of playing better than i did and that's always frustrating uh, if someone's just outplayed you straight outplayed you then you you know you learn something and you move on and that's fine but if you if you know oh that's a stupid mistake and i've not made that mistake before or you know i've, I've avoided that mistake before then it feels a bit worse so i think um i think i'd have loved to have tested this in a way where you know i could really really stress test it and find out whether actually it's got potential because there's something about a fight five 
cavalry and you know with axes and not all of them but some of them having axes and plenty of right strike and you know banners everywhere coming out the wazoo and huge amounts of speed that you can redeploy your uh, your whole army and and focus in on something and uh, pick it apart it, it can be very very effective and i think uh, some of the games i did well at that i mean even um the army of the dead which you know at very high defense i absolutely mopped them up um, and that was probably only with half the army, and you know, it, it, and I could avoid getting um, treebeard really easily um, for so long because because uh, of such great movement. So yeah, it was uh, it, yeah, it would be really interesting. Maybe I'll bring it out another time in the future and and right the wrongs of uh, of this one with the win uh, and the draw and the two losses. But either way, uh, I wasn't the only one at the tournament. Someone had to come out on top. So let's find out uh, the winner of Side by Side Without a Friend, and then we might be able to squeeze in a chat uh, with you. And the winner of Side by Side Without a Friend is Aaron Pullen, regular on the podcast, winner of many a many a tournament. What have you brought to this slightly unusual tournament, it's fair to say? Um, I've gone with my, uh, my hood again. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is, this is interesting because this one, you've got to balance the two lists. Um, there's the double scenarios, which not everyone's that familiar with. What sort of things did you uh, try and kind of uh, get round here in this, uh, this slightly unusual list building format? Uh, it's funny you say that. It was a mishmash of whatever I could quickly put together oh, really? just because it was baffling me trying to get something that worked. And it got to a point where I was like, oh, stuff it. I'm just going to take this, do this, do that, put that in. And um, to my surprise, it worked. <laughs> yeah, because the difficulty with uh, your list is that you don't get to choose the leader, do you? So you've got to roll off at the start. So what, what exactly have you got in, in your two sort of contingents here? Okay, so I've got two warbands, uh, Mohud King in one of them, and he's leading 11 camels. So obviously very fast, um, hit hard. The other warband is another Mahud King, and he's leading eight half trolls, a couple of spear supports in there. So one's quite slow, tanky, but hits hard. The other one's fast, a bit fragile. Um, so in these scenarios, um, it's just a bit of luck, basically, yeah. on gonna, commander. I was going to say that. So how often did you have the, the tanky stuff in the middle, and how often did you have the, the sort of more fragile camel contingent in the middle? Basically, I'd say every single game it went in my favour and where I wanted it, each uh, warband to be, basically. Right, OK. Yeah. Got to have a little bit of luck. But what, what sort of uh, difficulties did you face? Because, you know, there's been some pretty tricky armies. I know, I think you faced off against Azog in the final round. Is that right? Uh, no, that, you... that was Joe Petter. Oh, right. OK, yeah. Sorry. So uh, what, what did, did you struggle against any armies? Um, you can say yes. no. <laughs> yes. Um, it was probably my second game. Um, Assault on Lothlorien, mm. um, also commanded by Jasmine, yeah. uh, a very good player. So I thought, right, this is probably going to be my speed bump now. <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, how, was it just the, the impact hits that helped you there? Because I'd imagine the the, I, the terror as well would probably be helpful on the, the um, half-trolls. How, how, did you, how did you counter that? Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, it started off with, um, obviously, her heroes... Um, decimating one of my kings and at that point I was like oh great this is probably game but as the half trolls um, got close to combat they just wipe through goblins they can't charge me um, they're very hard to deal with um, and like you said the uh, camels once they get in range them impact hits they just keep going and going and going because she's obviously um, maxed her bows out so they're going to be d4 I'm winning them on fours 50-50 um, on an impact hit 
um, and I think that swung it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that, that, that's the difficulty with that with that new legion. I mean, everyone uh, keeps saying it's it's doing top table stuff, and it, it does seem to appear on podiums quite a lot. But there are definitely counters to it, and I guess you've maybe stumbled on one here. Um, I think you might be right. Um, just before we actually started, Jasmine uh, made a comment to me saying, "I think this might be the uh, list that actually counters mine." Mm. And um, it took me a while to. Uh, think about this and thinking how yeah. right I need to use this to my advantage and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's told you it's a good counter you've got to work out oh god what, what is it that's actually doing it but uh, clearly I mean obviously we'd say you had a bit of luck with the, the right generals leading the right contingents but I mean you, you don't get to the top of podiums without uh, regularly like you do without you know knowing exactly what you're doing uh, that's it. You're right there. Um, you need a bit of player skill and uh, know what you're up against. Know what you got to do. Yeah, I know your um, army as well, which you've played this army quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's um, an army that I'm using quite a bit. Um, I thoroughly enjoy using it. They're very fun. Um, I like it because it's rare. People don't use them. Um, mm. It catches quite a few of my opponents out on um, certain areas. Absolutely. Well, uh, Aaron, congratulations again on winning side by side without a friend. Thanks. Just a final quick word uh, with the tournament organisers of Side by Side without a friend, uh, because it, ironically, you do have a friend here. You've got two. There's two TOs. We've got Tim and we've got Harry. Harry, first of all, uh, this was your first time organising or helping organise a tournament. What was it been like? It's been really good. I mean, it's a big learning curve. So uh, I approached him to with an idea, and then Tim basically helped write the pack or mostly wrote the pack himself and mm. then and then from there we were just conflabbing and working as a team to make it as easy as possible for as I said it works better with two people than mm. just one person doing it so it's been really good absolutely absolutely and Tim you know you, you've, you've, you've run tournaments before you've got the hat and the moustache and all these sorts of extra extra bits of fun what, what's it been like running this one how, how has it compared to the last one this one has been less stressful than the <laughs> first one is that because you got the extra person no it's because the first one we ironed out a lot of the potential worrying things one like will people come and that sort of stuff mm. this one was was slightly different in that it was the the format was the worry rather than the you know the general actual running of it which yeah. is very smooth i mean it's a good it's a good venue and i i probably knew at least by name most i've, I've played a lot of tournaments now to know a lot of people so it wasn't a case of strangers and and the difficulties that that brings um yeah there, there weren't the same problems absolutely but you mentioned the format though this is an interesting one so this was your idea harry then the 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 double scenarios but as a as as one player was was that your idea yeah i mean the first thing i saw was the meme of legolas and gimli on the internet and i think that was what sparked the idea and then i approached him was would it be a good idea and then we thought well what about if we did doubles but then because doubles over two days is quite a commitment for people now so we thought oh we'll reduce it down to one day so it's a lot easier and then and then as you said it's it's been a lot easier and smoother with it being one day and i, I know a few people have remarked that actually it's, it's been good because these scenarios you know you only ever play at doubles tournaments and doubles tournaments are rarer or doubles games in general so which which i guess helps tim well this actually i think march april in this year's gbhl calendar is almost entirely doubles mm. But to do the sort of ranking doubles events, then predominantly two days, um, and most, well not most folk, but a lot of folk can't devote two days and a trip halfway around the country to play mm. Toy Soldiers. Um, we've played a lot of scenario games now, and the, with the uh, veto system in tournament play, the actual number of scenarios you get to experience on the tabletop it seems to be reducing. Mm. 
Um, so it just by using the we've done it at your Lord of the Imps we've, there's a double scenario it's been modified to be a one player one and we've just taken that to expand the scenario pools for people to play different games otherwise it's often the same game a lot yeah. of the time I mean I've played a lot of Fog of War recently and I imagine lots of other people have but either way uh, congratulations it's been a great uh, great tournament so there you go uh, there you go well done to everyone uh, who did well at the side by side without a friend a really really cool idea uh, for the tournament um, uh, thanks to Harry and Tim at the end there uh, I know Tim has been a stalwart in Lincoln for a while and he's basically um, uh, taken over the reins of uh, organising the whole whole community in Lincoln and has has allowed it to blossom well not allowed it he's kind of stoked the fire of enthusiasm uh imps gaming with the slow grow as well which you'll hear about at some point in the distant future which is uh still ongoing in the background um which i'll do a podcast about at some point um and harry is just one of those early early uh adopters who is now uh you know confident enough with his uh his knowledge and uh, enthusiastic enough to to continue to to invest in the game i guess and and grow the community which is fantastic and with such a great idea uh, the the double scenarios are under underplayed uh, and I, I think in some ways it's 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 very interesting to play them as a single uh, as a person because you know you're you're making decisions for both halves of the army so it can be a little bit more unified unified in thought and um you know and, and you can play them in more of a sort of competitive way i guess because uh, you know, often as doubles, you, you kind of play it in a bit more relaxed and uh, jolly kind of vibes, and you know, maybe less, less little less bothered. But um, yeah, really interesting tournament, great idea, uh, really enjoyed it. So thanks again to uh, to Tim and Harry, and of course Aaron. Um, you know, I should. I can't really uh, not uh, not flag it up, but uh, Aaron has been uh, dominating the local scene, Aaron Pullen, uh, for a while, and uh, he's just proving it once again that he's uh, he's he's the top dog in uh, in Lincolnshire, that's for sure, and 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 further afield as well. He seems to be, you know, at the very least top tables, um, even in the the really big competitive tournaments, as we heard in the Grand Prix. He was in the uh, the final pod, the top pod, so in the top eight. So you know, really really good. Um, uh, sorry, Grand Prix. Uh, I meant uh, in the last episode so yeah and I'm sure sure it won't be the last we hear of Aaron so well done again Aaron uh, well done to you um, for your success once again right well that's it for this episode um, thank you very much for the listening to another Entmoot um, as I said at the start or somewhere in the midst of the podcast uh, I've got a few um, a bit of a backlog uh, of podcasts to edit um, mainly because the tournament's coming thick and fast um, and they will dry out at some point this year so this year is probably likely going likely to be a bit top heavy in terms of podcasts but we're smashing them out um got lots of content recorded hopefully uh we'll i'll, I'll try and drip feed them because that'll just make it a bit more interesting won't it rather than uh you having three or four at once but either way um there will be more on the agenda uh, and there are there's work in the background um to do some stuff for the youtube channel as well if you're a fan of that the battle games in middle earth youtube channel uh, i've got uh, one pretty exciting um, and interesting video that I've I've absolutely loved uh, doing, and it's connected to the scouring of Cheshire um, and the snowstorm that happened on the way. Uh, you'll find out a bit more, hopefully, if you keep an eye on the YouTube channel. Thanks once again to all the patron supporters. Uh, it, it, you know, you guys absolutely uh, keep me going it's fantastic the the amount of support i i, I really appreciate it uh, there's goodies and dice and dice tray and trays and all that sort of stuff and actually i've got an exciting plan for a gift for uh, any of the 
uh, many of the uh, uh, top tier patrons essentially um, for something that will get you sort of nice exciting bonuses if you come to the tournament uh, that I run every, uh, later on in the year so uh, keep an eye out for that so uh, thanks very much again for your support uh, and keep rolling those dice and seeing the uh, the, the little Entmoot logo and the little Burarum. <laughs> <laughs>